I were recording, so I shouldn't make like weird, awkward shoulder moves. I should. Why? Actually, Wait, I mean, it's. Oh yeah, yeah. Talking is usually better on a podcast. <laughs> shoulder moves. Shoulder moves. <laughs> oh my goodness. So. <laughs> oh boy, I can already tell this is gonna be good. Rob, um, have fun hurting cats tonight. <laughs> Jenna's been pre-gaming. I actually have not been drinking. I've just had like uh, I was I was chat- chatting with Andrew earlier, and I was saying that I had like I composed a bit of music, but I don't think it's good. But so I'm just gonna let that pass, and I'm gonna wake up the next morning, and it'll be okay, <laughs> whether it's good or not. Love, love it. All right, so we this <laughs> this is gonna be tough. This is six people on one podcast. The most we've ever done is three. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, first of all, <laughs> welcome to Over Drinks. We have uh, myself, Rob McClure, as always, Andrew Martin Smith, returning a usual guest on Over Drinks, Jamie Lee Sampson, another regular, Jen Jolly, and Evan, you've done you've done one. This is your second one, yeah. Evan Williams, and then our guest today, John Fielder. Hello, so. Uh, we should probably do the the typical thing where what is everyone drinking? That sounds great. <laughs> now there was a little bit of Twitter buildup uh, for for Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> a li- there was a little bit of hype going. So Andrew, what what did you what did you spend time on with your selection? Uh, well, it's crisp. And slightly sweet, it's a cherry wheat. Mm. Oh my god. Oh god. You're so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. All right, Jamie, can you can you save the household? Uh maybe, maybe not. I usually drink wine. Today I have a Saranac caramel porter. Okay. It's weird. Yeah. I, all right, fair enough. Oh, he can dig weird, can he? But not, but just not the fruity beer. Jen? Um, earlier today, um, I'm going non-alcoholic. I had a bitters and soda with a twist. I'm bringing out my old mm. inner white man. I'm writing a piece <laughs> right now. So. Well go. played. Doing it right. <laughs> Evan? Okay, I'm almost afraid to admit, but I am drinking uh, Arbor Mist. <laughs> <laughs> is this undergrad what the hell I have a birthday coming I'm getting old okay? <laughs> and, and John what do you have well, in solidarity with Evan I'm drinking Boone's Farm uh, no not really um, I, I actually uh, because it's still early I'm on west coast time it's only oh, about yeah. 545 I'm on water right now uh, All right. but <laughs> Given my choice, it would probably be uh, either, you know, on a good day, a scotch, or on a bad day, you know, $8 black velvet. Also, are you in a closet right now, John? All right. Today's a black velvet day. I'm sorry. Are you in a closet right now, John? Yes, yes, I'm in a, I'm, I, I'm actually in my apartment in San Francisco. It is a closet. No. Oh, no. A very quiet uh, place. I, I have a limited space here, so this is the quietest room in the apartment. It is a closet. You're mm-hmm. very observant, Evan. 
<laughs> I needed I, I needed a controlled environment, and this is the most controlled I could find. So well, I'm surrounded by walls and porous materials. <laughs> Sweet. John takes it seriously, okay? Yeah. Very yeah. seriously. It's in the game, Evan. Yeah. Uh, good and point. Uh, I'm going with I'm going with four roses, small batch. Good so, choice, sir. Bourbon. Good choice. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, this idea for this podcast came about after I ever so stupidly posted <laughs> a list of composers and pieces that I was having my composition students listen to. I posted it on Facebook and asked for feedback, mind you, <laughs> meaningful feedback. Um, the list uh, was and is completely uh, gender equal and featured... Um, an attempt to be more racially diverse and uh, basically it shorted a lot of straight dead white men in favor of composers who were women composers of color and composers who are alive Um, as you may imagine it was met with praise from some and hostility from others Mm -hmm. in particular the lack of American minimalists and the American symphonists was brought up and um, so basically, like a lack of uh, minimalism and neo-romanticism. That's what I got from from that. Um, and it wasn't just a single comment. It was it was a couple of people chiming in. Um, then the next day, <laughs> I believe I was judging a competition of uh, young composers and I was kind of tired of hearing the, you know, con- consonant repetition in many of the pieces that i was i was listening to so again i ever so stupidly turned to facebook why to vent my opinion (laughs) by saying something to the effect of uh when will american composers get out of the shadow of minimalism (laughs) and a dark shadow it is this is what i have learned Don't Facebook while under the influence of an opinion. <laughs> oh, I see now. Yeah. It's going to be so, anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's when uh that's when our guest John Fielder contacted me about having a longer discussion about some of some of these ideas. So, uh we're going to do kind of a bit of a new thing for the overdrinks. Usually we just talk about a piece um uh, that we that one of us at least loves and we just drink and talk about it um, amongst other things um, but this is going to be kind of maybe like a roundtable discussion about about these ideas about kind of current the the state of composition as it is currently and how we how we feel about the various isms that are presenting themselves so and, and I'm gonna kind of act I guess as a moderator um, because with six people on a on a pot or on a video chat, it, it can get a little, <laughs> you know, um, but still voice my opinion as well. So I'd like to start off with uh, this question, and I'll go around to each of you. Um, in your opinion, what was the general goal of process music or repetitive minimalism from the late 60s and 70s? So we're thinking of Steve Reich. Or Reich, or whatever he's going with, Philip Glass, Terry Riley, John Adams, those particular people. Well, I'll break the ice a little bit, I think, if that's okay. Sure. Um, 
so so as I remember it from enculturation and university classes about minimalism, uh, it's billed as being a reactionary movement uh, toward the more esoteric kind of academic musics. Um, let's just you know drop all the vernacular and say serialism. Uh, it's essentially a response to serialism, one that is more uh, concerned with an audience's um, perception and appreciation. Now, that's that's not necessarily my take. That's that's what was given to me at university in an official class. Does your take differ from that at all? Um, I don't know if my take is is I don't necessarily care why it came about i'm i'm just more interested in what it is and how it can be used that's i mean that's my take uh yeah i guess uh i I guess kind of jumping off that i think there i I agree i was kind of always uh sort of led to believe that it was this reactionary style i'm not certain i agree with that though um Mm. just from talking to some composers who were you know, some older composers and people I talked to uh, during my time in school, that it was, I think, less reactionary than it's often made out to be and more of a genuine exploration of, of new ideas, not necessarily simplicity, but looking less at, uh, you know, note-to-note relationships and working this obsession with pitch and control and really dedicated to exploring long processes and you know the you know the sort of hypnotic effect of repetition and you know Reich Glass, Lamont Young, Terry Riley they were all doing different things for different reasons and I don't think they were all you know can I don't think it's easy to just group them under one umbrella of these you know reactionaries who were looking for this new accessible simplicity. I actually think that the post-minimalists often claim that their approach to minimalism is more reactionary. Mm. It's not an uncommon yeah. story to hear um, David Lang say that his push towards minimalism, post-minimalism, um, is due to the way he was taught while he was in university. So I think I think maybe the minimalists know, but the post-minimalists, I've heard that more more frequently. Yeah, and... With with those post minimalists, I think you know music. We had the surface of minimalism, but not necessarily. Well, to me, like post minimalism kind of moved away from the like temporal and cognitive rigor of those early pieces. Yeah, I mean John Adams mm. says that a lot, actually, like in interviews and whatnot, and his writing that yeah he uh, wanted something that could evoke those sort of processes and and rhythmic ideas and whatnot but that wasn't so rigorous in its um sort of realization of those and you can definitely hear that in his music um he also wanted something that was more sort of flexible that could help him move from one emotional idea to another quickly uh, like romanticism does um and not as uh minimalism can do a little bit you know over a longer period of time so yeah i think that's a a big uh, part of the post-minimalism is that there's this uh, definitely it's a descendant of that uh, previous mode of thinking but they wanted to sort of bring back in some of that um, expressionism that um, uh, the uh, 
older composers loved so much. So I don't know if uh, early minimalism was necessarily a reaction at the same time. My impression of, you know, dare I say, serialism too, was that it was just so complex, so esoteric. It was academic music. It's something that you had to go into academia to understand and to write. And with process music, it's in a way, get this showing the process. Um, and I think it also came around the same time as process art. I am cheating and looking this up, but specifically like Jackson Pollock, <laughs> hey, you know. Sweet. I, I, I know that I don't know lots of things, but I know how to look them up. And and the, th- the, <laughs> the, the mark, with, the yes. mark of a true uh, academic. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. But the idea of like Jackson Pollock, whereas like he, he was purposely not using paint brushes, he was just using the paint as the object, as the performance art in itself. And kind of people were mesmerized. And they'd even like, I think the, the MoMA online has a video of how to create this one Jackson Pollock painting. It's like showing the process, drawing back the curtain, so is that reactionary? I mean, maybe, but I don't think it's like as easy to teach that type of reaction as opposed to like the narrative that Andrew gave us earlier. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've been fed this for a long time that, you know, there in the in the later 20th century, there was this period there was it was like a war between the serialists and the minimalists. And um, on the last season of the podcast, Meet the Composer. Uh, which uh, Nadia Serrata hosts, uh, she tackled this issue in an episode called New Music Fight Club. So have any of you listened to that? And if so, what did you think? Just finished. (laughs) (laughs) It was an assignment for this. (laughs) (laughs) I I got time. I'm going to eat dinner. I'll listen to this podcast while I eat. But um, I mean, I liked it. Um, I thought it had some good points. I thought it had multifaceted. Uh, like sort of arguments. Um, I will say, and she even admits this at the end, that it is very limited. Um, it's basically oh. limited to uh, New York um, and what was happening there with a little bit um, what was happening in Europe, but not much outside of that. Um, so there's a, a much bigger story. Um, but I think what it does well is that it talks about the sort of personal struggles of these composers um, and why they sort of write the music that they do, um, which I find more interesting than the whole um, downtown versus uptown argument. Um, uh-huh. I think it's important to know, like, why, you know, David Lang, you know, felt so, you know, pressured in school to, to write a certain kind of music and why he then went on to start being on a can um, with Julian Michael and, you know, I, I found those stories really interesting, but it's certainly not a sort of in-depth academic look at the whole history sure. of that sort of fight, if it even was a fight. Sure. You know, I love this really uh, over-romanticized kind of dramatic uh, opposition, mm. right? Always putting things at odds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in the United States, it always seems like we can only have two choices. It's Republican <laughs> or Democrat. It's Pepsi or Coke. It's, you know, you, you name it. It's, cats it's or dogs. Cats are serialist or <laughs> minimalist. And, and it's all done from the standpoint of a kind of marketing perspective, but also from the standpoint of um, a a cliquish kind of fascination where you get to be in the in crowd and you know you're in the in crowd because you're not like those other people on that side. Um, And 
those types of rallying calls always make me a little nervous. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm uninterested in dogmatic approaches to anything in, in my life. And, you know, one of the things my grandfather taught me, which I will continually remember, he always used to say everything in moderation, even moderation. Mm. And, uh, I, I kind of liken that to what I do in my own music where I will vacillate between techniques and styles between within pieces, between pieces. And I could care less. Uh, the only thing is, is the craft of the work that I'm doing and, um, the work itself functional for whatever it's designed to do. I wonder if anybody's keeping track of how often you've used that quote in the podcast. Oh, dear. <laughs> More cherry wheat for me. <laughs> I, would, I would say, I mean, I would say that's a good quote. Um, actually, um, so I was only able to listen to part of the episode because I, I got sidetracked with other things. But um, uh-huh. it actually reminds me about, sorry, I did, I did. Um, you know, I had a professor in my graduate school who said that's how it was. Um, he went to Juilliard, and the reason why he brought this up is because we had a student who wrote something that was very tonal at the time for an orchestra reading, and he was like, let's talk about this, because when I was in school, we couldn't write music like this at all. And uh, another anecdote was I remember I was an undergrad, and I went to my piano teacher's recital, and at the end, he had excerpts of a musical that he wrote. And I'm like, I had no idea this dude was a composer. And he like came out kind of like Liberace style and like helped perform like this <laughs> excerpt of this musical. And he said in his like bio that he wanted to major in composition, but he wanted to write musicals and he just couldn't do it. So um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Andrew. Uh, we are super obsessed with our binaries. I don't get it, but they were <laughs> super obsessed with them back then. Mm-hmm. In so much, it was just very prohibitive. So um, I can't imagine being a composer at that time because I'll tell you this right now, I wouldn't be one. Mm. Or I'd be a closeted composer. Like my piano teacher closetly wrote these musicals. I had no idea. But there you hmm. go. John, in your email to me, you kind of brought up this this episode of uh, Meet the Composer. So what what was your take yeah. on it? Uh, I, I listened to it the day the day of or the day after it came out. And I remember initially being really excited about it uh, just because I, I knew it was going to make me angry uh, on some level. Just because, <laughs> And, you know, I guess I'm just a... It didn't disappoint. <laughs> no, it didn't at all. Um, but, and, and I think it's because it was, it's something that was talked about a lot when I was in doctoral school. Um, was this idea of basically like aesthetic battlegrounds and how <laughs> big of a problem they were back in the seventies. And I, I'm sure they were, you know, enough people from that generation talk about it in a very negative way that, you know, it's, I mean, yes, I, I imagine it did exist and it went on and it was probably really upsetting. Uh, at the same time, I feel like that is starting to shift in what's actually happening in music right now. Uh, I don't think the, but I don't think the binary is gone. I think it's just, it's starting to shift away from this, you know, kind of veneration of atonality into more veneration of populism, at least in my experience. Um, and I think that was what I really found upsetting. And it kind of, it reminded me of a time when, uh, Laurie Anderson came to, uh, UT Austin when I was, uh, in doctoral school there. 
And her presentation to the composition department was incredible. And when they opened it up for the Q and A, someone in the audience stood up and asked a question that was basically like, and it was so loaded. It was, you know, it was like something to the effect of like, uh, so when you started, you know, you were clearly reacting to what was going on in new music at the time, and you're appreciated in popular styles and pop music, but also in more academic styles. And so, what was it about guys like Pierre Boulez that really turned you off? And her reaction, she kind of, she looked confused for a second and said something to the effect of, well, I wasn't doing anything reactionary at all. I just made the music that I wanted to make. And so, yeah. you know, there's that. And then there's also, you think about composers like Stephen Sondheim, who do write musicals and who also studied with Babbitt and was very right. good friends with yeah. Babbitt. And so that makes, and there are a lot of other composers who are still writing neo-romantic music, very... You know, ex you know, I hate the term accessible, but still audience-friendly music from that era. And so I think to say we weren't allowed to write this is possibly maybe less accurate than our professors didn't like that we wrote this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, I, I can't really speak to that because I wasn't there. I can say that, you know, as a student <laughs> by some of these composers who did go through this and who were angry at their teachers not allowing them to write certain kinds of music that uh, that ended up actually being my experience that I was actually encouraged to not write the music that I was writing because it was <laughs> thorny atonality that people wouldn't like. And you know, this isn't Europe, this is America and things like that. It's just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, so, and that's getting off the topic of Nadia Sirota's podcast, which I think that was more, it was more not really the content of the podcast, but what it made me think about after and a lot of the conversations that I'd had with colleagues following that. Uh, slight, slight, sorry, slight tangent, because he brought up the Babbitt and Sondheim connection, which mm. I always do with students, uh, especially students who are interested in writing mu musical theater. Um, and is there really any doubt in any of our minds when you listen to a Sondheim musical and, and how he controls intervallic structure and how that's uh, really a facet that that occurs to drive like storytelling as well. I mean, he's got intervallic motives for for various characters. Um, it's not really that far for me to believe that, oh, yeah, this is somebody that kind of studied with someone who's really, really interested in that kind of concept, right. regardless of what the surface level sound is that under that underpinning that um, craft, that technique is sort of apparent that a little bit of that transfers i think andrew you're bringing up a dangerous word i feel like and oh that's, i love words and that's craft <laughs> because oh shit oh shit I, I was gonna ask we're still marked explicit on itunes right? <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah oh totally. yeah totally. okay good because i was inspired oh, to say fuckery about five minutes ago and i couldn't remember if i was allowed to or not so fuckery <laughs> Well, be before we before we get into the craft thing, Jamie, do you want to follow up on your fuckery or? <laughs> no, I was gonna say I, I didn't have a chance to listen to the podcast, um, but part of that is because my my daily reading has been getting through uh, Ligeti's bio, 
uh, called The Music of Imagination. And so I did a different sort of prep this morning. Yeah, I have that book on and, my shelf, too. Uh, yeah, I've read chapter one about eight times, and I've finally gotten to chapters two and three. I'm really excited. Um, and chapter three happened to be about when he moved to Vienna and subsequently a number of other cities trying to absorb what had been going on in the West while he was not allowed to do so where he had been. And... Um, and he just had some, uh, you know, a few really interesting takes on it, especially uh, after analyzing some of Boulez's piano music. And, and he, I highlighted my favorite quote because Anna brought the book. Look at me. I'm prepared. Um, because I think this is why I push my students in a couple of different directions. I, I don't let them stay comfortable in any one situation too long because when they leave, they need to be prepared to, to sound like themselves. And I don't think if they spend too much time in one system, they really fairly explore what they could sound like. And, um, and I love this, this one thing that he said, that both tonal architecture and serialism at birth harbor the seeds of their own disillusion because they're strict structures and, and strict processes. And it's interesting, like we call minimalism process music. But I also think of serialism as a process, and and even some looser strictures of total than total serialism, I get the same idea of I am following a set of directions, and so I think of that as a grammatically vastly different circumstance, but it's still a process. Yeah, I if I don't if I could step in, yeah, I I always made that same connection. Uh, with serialism and minimalism both being a process, it's just one can possibly be perceived easily over long stretches of time, whereas the other one you don't necessarily perceive but is still a process in its own right, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I would slightly disagree with that, actually, although as a composer, I completely 100% get where you're coming from, Jamie. I think the idea of process music is that you're bringing the audience along for the ride in that case. Mm. So like a typical process piece would be Alvin Lussier's I Am Sitting in a Room. That's a process piece. Mm-hmm. Is that minimalist? Mm. Oh, it's not serialist. Mm. There, there aren't any notes. So <laughs> I, but at the same time, there is a very odd. Uh, well, OK, actually, yeah, you start hearing that. And you start hearing the resonant frequencies. Um, there goes my doctorate. OK. <laughs> but at the same time it's it's a process piece like when i teach yeah. it i say this is a piece of process music yeah well yeah and i mean i think that you know minimalism is a is a very broad term that actually can encompass many different things yeah. but it seems to only mean one thing and that's the philip glass john adams steve reich repetitive that you know whereas I mean, honestly, you know, Lamont Young, 1000%, you know, that uh, uh, Eliane Radigue, mm-hmm. you know, she she can definitely be be in that conversation. Even Pauline Oliveros, like they yeah. they can all be in that conversation. But the word and, and and the way we understand it in. In musical conversation is just like, oh, minimalism is that thing. And that's what I think you see so much of right now in the 
kind of you see so many imposters like Steve Steve Reich imitators and Philip Glass imitators. And I think this is this is the the crux of it for me is that I'm really tired of listening to Steve Reich imposters. If the if the mic could drop, I think Rob would have probably like <laughs> I might have, yeah. So I'm going to pick up the mic a little bit from the floor or maybe just drag it a little. Um, So my disclaimer, my disclaimer is I'm a Californian. Like, um, I like, I like my drones like Lamont Young likes his drones. Um, Have I been writing minimalist music lately? Um, No, because my wind band has to breathe sometime. Um, So that's kind of how I've been doing it. But um, I, I, I get where you're coming from because there's a lot of imitators is what you're saying, but I think there's like imitation everywhere. And I think it probably just depends on, dare we use this word craft again? Probably depends on the age Ah. of the composer. Probably depends on how long they've been composing and also depends on how they've been listening to music. And maybe, and this is actually what I really loved about your list, Rob online on the Facebooks, was that this was like your stamp of saying, like, if my students are going to stay with me, they're going to get my perspective. And with your opinion, they're getting too much minimalist music or that's what they've been hearing a lot, which is a fair argument. And I'm saying this as like um, most of the time minimalist composer. I was like, yeah, you need to you feel like you you can tell what they've been listening to. You can tell what type of music they're writing. You can tell what their background is and they need to be exposed because they're in school. And that's well, their job. Well, and I actually when when. Some people push back about, well, where are all the minimalists? You know, whatever. I said, well, I have John Luther Adams. I have Eliane Radig. I have, I had Steve Reich on there. Um, and I had, uh, um, oh, God. Names. See, for a second there, there was a third one you couldn't remember. Louis Andreessen. Oh, Andreessen. Yes. Andreessen. Which, yeah. which is my favorite minimalist. Nice. Right. Yes. So he's, it was like like, an, he's like an angry minimalist. Yeah. Yes. I love. So, and you need so, to crank it up yeah. so your ears hurt a little bit. So yeah. the point was, <laughs> so the point was they were getting that style or genre or arena or idea. They just weren't getting what everyone associated with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and and I defended your decision on there as well because I believe that they will get the exposure to the some of the larger pieces in coursework. Right. Well, whether I, that's I mean, like not necessarily history class, but there's plenty of composition coursework where they're going to come across that. And I love that your list was stuff that they're not going to come across. Yeah. I Thank mean. you. I, I don't want to make this about me, though. So <laughs> No, um, I know. Right. But still, like, um, this is the, I don't know, idea. I will, before we, and I, I do want to get to craft. It's it's hanging there. <laughs> and Andrew, you're going to answer for it. Um, I love it. <laughs> but I do, like, I, I kind of want to respond to to Jen. Um, I was I was driving up to Toledo for Christmas, and I think I figured out why I have such a distaste in my mouth for like Reichian imposter minimalism. And I mean, I think at this point he's kind of an imposter of himself. <laughs> like he's recycling himself ad nauseum, but at one it's point, a process. It, it, it is a process. We'll, we'll, we'll see the whole picture when he, anyway, um, <laughs> But the the point is the the reason I have such a distaste for this is because at one point I was that. 
Hmm. And I think that because I have come to a place that I think is, that I think is evolved. And we always think that where we are is better than where we were. I view it as I hate what I once was. Mm. And, and the, the other thing is that since I used to be a composer who wrote a lot of this, uh, you know, that style of music, my mindset is now that, oh yeah, I could whip out like 10 pieces a year if that's, if that's all it was. And it'd be easy to do that again. I don't actually like it wouldn't in practice, but no, that's like, that's the mindset. And and I'm not really interested in it, so I don't. There would be, and th- and this is what I'm getting to. There would be no struggle. And I, for mm. me, that's what I believe an artist should be doing: either pushing against some kind of restraint or an opposing force to find what is real and true and meaningful to themselves. So, without that, since this is something that I could quote fall back onto. There would be no struggle, so it wouldn't be an artistic endeavor for me. So that, and and this is like psychology of myself, that if I feel that way, am I transferring that onto other people who do this, where it might be, they might be discovering something that is meaningful or true or valuable for themselves. Yeah, because I would say on that same token, like, you know, how many times have we heard, you know, sort of fake, you know, serialism, though not fake, but, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, imposter serialism or, you know, imposter neo-complexity and whatnot. I think on in every style, there's someone who says, oh, I should be doing that if I want to be a famous composer. And so that's mm-hmm. what they, the they do yes. for a while <laughs> until they realize, oh, I need to be myself. So I, I it's fair what you're, you're saying, but I obviously think that that's on sort of in every school of thought, there's someone that listens to something and says, that's really cool. And that's getting played a lot. Or, you know, I really, you know, sort of admire those people. So that's what I'm going to do for a bit. Um, And I like what uh, David Lang said at the end of uh, the Me the Composer uh, podcast, that it's about sort of like finding who you are as a person um, and finding that best version of your person. I thought that was a beautiful sentiment and how, um, you know, there there's different ways to look at everything, how um, uh, Fernie House saw Bach in one way and Lang saw Bach in another way. There's room for, you know, both at the round table, as it were. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you feel about, you feel that you have to struggle with every single piece in order for it to be valid in your artistic endeavors, Rob? Well, um... I may have talked about this before, but um, my uh, former teacher, Shuhui Chen, um, I had my second doctoral recital and she asked me, how did I think it, you know, how how did it go? Like how, you know, obviously she was there, but um, what did you think of it? And I said, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I thought, yeah, it did that 33 minute string quartet did exactly what I thought it was supposed to do. And she said, really? You wouldn't change anything? (laughs) (laughs) and then she said to me the thing that i have always remembered and i impart onto my students and and you know anyone who cares is that if you are feeling absolutely comfortable in what you're doing you're probably not doing what you should be doing Mm, that's fair okay 
So is is every single piece a struggle? No. But every I, I for me at least every piece is pushing. Even if it's just a little bit. But it's still pushing something that I've never done before. I guess. That's fair. I just have a hard time thinking of some of my miniatures as a struggle. I'm just like, well, that was cute and adorable and hilarious for 30 seconds. Now, you know, like, let's get back to the crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Yeah. I mean, this is just me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if every piece should be a struggle. Although I was like, I'm going to write this grade two BM piece. And now it's, I'm struggling with it because I think it sucks right now. It'll be fine. <laughs> but you It'll get triplets. Fine. I do get you triplets. finally get triplets. I'm giving them to the drummers. Long t- <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Long time <laughs> listeners will actually get why this is a big deal. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. um, I was just going to equip, if I were to use a metaphor, I mean, although I don't know I'm qualified for this metaphor because I'm not a mother, but supposedly, like, every piece is different. Every pregnancy is different. Some of them are more difficult than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe some of your children are your favorite. I don't know about that one, but. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> true. Throw that out there. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Three out of four of my best friends are pregnant this year. Every pregnancy is different. Mm. Every piece is different. The struggle is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sounds like maybe, maybe Robbie just want a tiny bit of struggle to know that you struggled a tiny bit that, you know, that you challenged yourself, which I actually very much respect. Cause I think ultimately we as composers want to do that. And it's a matter of like, for me as of late, I've been thinking like, do I have enough time to struggle? Do I have enough time to challenge myself? But I think that is an absolutely mm-hmm great goal to have for any composer or all composers really i think we should be challenging ourselves in our music sometimes the time we have to write a piece is the struggle though i'm currently trying to finish uh two more of a four commission uh sort of track i've going through that we're all a little bit too close together but i was a Fuck it, we'll do it. Um, and I feel uh, you. I feel uh, you so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and Lord. yeah, uh, like of the four pieces, maybe two of them do something that are is really new and original for me. But the other two are just straight ahead. Um, I got to get them done. Um, I got to get paid, and that's what's going to happen. But the struggle is that I have to do it quickly. So I think the struggle is different for every piece. But yeah. Can I revise? Sure. Um, I don't think every piece should be a struggle, but I have noticed that I'm on like three-year cycles. Mm. Like mm-hmm. after about three years, I need to kind of throw the book away and and refresh. So I'm I'm actually about due for one. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> time anyway. for a new exoskeleton, I, huh? Yeah, kind of. But anyway, John. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I actually, on a level, agree with the idea that um, I don't know, you know, I know you just revised, uh, you know, what you were saying, but on some level, I feel like every piece for me is is a struggle in a different way. You know, I've I've been, you know, for many years, uh, obsessed with Boulez and not just his music, but like his writings and philosophy, you know, as, as heartbreaking as that was for so many of my professors. Um, it was the truth. 
And, you know, I really liked <laughs> the idea of, you know, his music of, of constantly kind of reworking older material. Yeah. And I think in some way I've, I've kind of, I didn't latch onto that, I think, because of Boulez. I think that was something that I really liked about what he was doing because I saw myself doing that. And I think in some ways I, I'm always trying to not necessarily reinvent what I'm doing, but also like some other people said, not stay comfortable with where I am. And I feel like mm -hmm. it's, I'm moving towards something, but what it is I'm moving toward is, is like a moving target. Like it, it keeps changing slightly or it becomes nice. more refined. And it's sort of like, you know, there's this great quote from waking life and I know I'm going to fuck it up, but it's early on where uh, a guy driving a boat car says something to the effect of being in a case, uh, state of constant departure while always arriving and I've always thought that that was really great. And I kind of, I, I've seen that sort of like almost as a, as a parallel to how I work where I'm, I'm always, you know, when I get to a double bar, I've, I'm like, okay, yeah, I did what I wanted to do. But in the next piece, I'm going to try these other things and try to do this better or this differently. And so it's sort of kind of refining the same thing over and over and over again. It's like polishing a diamond and then scuffing it up and then doing it over again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that was a way more elegant way of saying what I wanted to say. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll be here all night. <laughs> all right, so let's get to craft. <clears throat> craft. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. I've stretched. <laughs> I think so that's... I have this craft ale. <laughs> okay, I was oh, just about to make a craft beer joke. Thank you. Thank you. You are here all night. Thank you for <laughs> Craft. So yes. I think it's a dangerous word because it implies that. Well, how I guess how do you mean it? Because how do you mean it? <laughs> so um you have to understand that when I'm using it, I'm using it from the standpoint of a uh, craftsman in, or, or person, I suppose. My full disclosure, some of you know, my grandfather was a cobbler. So I liken so much of what it is to be a composer. Uh, I, I, I rectify it through the lens of kind of making shoes in some way. I didn't know um, that. And I don't think the listeners knew that either. So my grandfather made shoes. <laughs> he made very good shoes. I just like yeah, the word cobbler. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Most of his brothers were yeah. also uh, cobblers, mm. but so sidebar sidebar. Andrew Martin Smith is 75% Italian. He had one grandfather that was German and that's where they got their last name. Mm. <laughs> So how that makes you twenty five percent German? Twenty five percent German. I am a six. I am a sixteenth Irish, <laughs> and yet my name is McClure. Love it. Drink to that. <laughs> Sidebar's over. Okay. Keep going. What was I saying? Craft. Um, Grandfather craft. was a cobbler. Right. Oh. Craft composition, so, shoemaking. So right, the idea of of what it is we do in whatever circumstance we're doing it, whether it's a commission, whether it's a piece we are writing for ourselves or for a specific project, it is designed to fit a certain thing. In my opinion, 
And so from that standpoint, that fit, that craftsmanship to make this thing functional for a particular purpose, whatever that purpose is, I think that is craft. Okay, so for you, it really boils down to that the piece has it, it sets out to do something and it is either successful or unsuccessful correct and i think that's the way i've i i think i've re reframed my own opinion about music kind of recently is that you know because there especially being over in china where language was always an issue you know the, the p, terms like oh is this a good piece is this a bad piece got thrown around a lot and I (laughs) coming back to America I see that it wasn't just a China thing um (laughs) or wasn't just a language thing it's like oh this is a good piece this is a bad piece this is a good sound this is a bad sound and I'm like there's no such thing as a bad sound you know you haven't taught sixth grade bassoonists (laughs) (laughs) but but I, but I think for, for the beauty in sixth grade bassoonists. Mm. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, there's, that, there's that glass half. <laughs> the giggle that follows all of Where us. is your tip jar, dude? <laughs> like. <laughs> but yeah, is the piece successful? Is it unsuccessful? That's really all I care about anymore. Because as yeah. a listener, uh, you know, I try to I try to go I try to meet the piece where it lives. Right. Instead of just like turning off because, oh, this is, you know, in my case, it would be, it'd be me saying, oh, this is minimalist garbage. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to it. Or this is, can, or this is atonalist garbage. I'm not going to listen to it. Can I, can I make an interesting observation? Sure. I, I find it, the, the composers that are uh, included in this particular over drinks, I find we lie on a really neat spectrum if we have a diametric opposition, so to speak, of uh, serialism or complexity and uh, minimalism and simplicity, if we can use those dualities, um, I, I feel like we kind of all are in our own position on that spectrum mm-hmm. closer to one side or the other. And it's, it's kind of, I'm geeking out about it because I think it's kind of cool. Mm, it's almost like that was done on purpose. Mm. I know. Well done. <laughs> well done rob (laughs) anyway um all right so so your hang up on craft is is the way that it has been used in the past past? i I think so experiences not necessarily that like it is a well-constructed piece whether it is good or bad or there is no good and bad and it's either well constructed or it's not. Yes, but I think in the past, craft would have signaled that, oh, this person has studied this or this person has studied that. And mm. they they are rigorous in their implementation of whatever they have studied. And and, and you and in the past that would have absolutely gone to the quote unquote the academic side of things. And I hate that word. Like, oh god, yeah. But I think there's craft in like, uh, I mean, I yep. hate to say like just any yep. normal, any like vapid pop star, but there's craft in like, say like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Dude, like, Beyonce is craft. Yeah, all right? Well, of course. I was, but I was right? gonna say like, 
Uh, Sorry, like, her producers have cracked. Beyonce, yeah. because I, I think you can't use the word vapid. Yeah, I think. Beyonce. Yeah, exactly. I think there could be craft in like a Justin Bieber song. There is a craft in like mixing Whoa, that. Oh, too far. It, too I far. know. I know. We might no. not like it. We might not enjoy it. I, but no, a, I agree with Evan uh, on this. Yeah, there, is, there is some Justin Bieber that I will listen to, and it, yeah. it, it does what it's supposed to do. Exactly. exactly. Andrew, that's got, your definition. He's, he's got yeah. better. <laughs> he's got. I mean, Sorry is a pretty good song, if I had to say it. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was like about it. to say that. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I do too. Fill and you. there is, there's not just a craft <laughs> in sort of the creation of the song and in, in its, you know, in its use of chord progressions and songs, but the, there's a craft, of course, the mixing and the mastering and, you know, just like delivering that, that song to the masses. There is a craft there that can be appreciated even if you don't like the style. Uh, and I think that yes. you can find that in any yeah. sort of music. So Evan, you had a you had an idea in one of the one of the breaks where we lost yes. Jamie and I screenshotted Andrew in a weird face. <laughs> yeah, John said oh, something. Maybe um, next year's Christmas card. <laughs> John said something, and actually, um, when we first decided we were going to do this podcast, that I've actually been thinking about for a while, and wanted to ask John face to face. Well sort of uh, computer screen to computer screen. Uh, but so sort of the uh, resistance that you felt um, to your music at, at Austin, do you feel that like that's mm-hmm. widespread of, in terms of now all the uh, neo-tonalists and the, the minimalists are now uh, suppressing uh, serialism and complexity like it was vice versa? Or do you think that it just sort of depends on where you study that maybe here uh, this style is favored over another style, whereas if you were to go to another school, the complete opposite is the case. Uh, the answer to that is yes. Okay, how so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the answer is yes. Uh, because uh, I mean, yeah, like, like obviously, like if you know, had I gone to say North Texas or Stanford, my music would have been met very differently by both faculty and students that isn't to the, yeah. say they would have liked it more or they wouldn't have still had their own criticisms but they would have approached it from a different angle mm-hmm. um than it was approached uh, i i can tell you i would have had fewer arguments about aesthetics at uh you know i guess you know like aesthetics centered around dichotomies of you know tonality and mm-hmm. accessibility and atonality, complexity, and inaccessibility. I don't think those conversations would have come up as much at a place like that. Whereas had I, you know, I went to UT Austin and I wrote the music that I wrote and for some people it was, it was great. And, you know, we would talk about it. And even if they were on a completely different end of the spectrum, stylistically, we still could have really great, very respectful conversations. Um, I do think that the more neotonal post-minimalist aesthetic is sort of the uh is more the far-reaching and uh, i guess more overwhelmingly uh i don't want to say popular but i guess maybe more common or maybe more celebrated right now in america um i don't think you can really use a lot of large-scale prizes to really gauge that entirely but i think if you look at the last 10 years of pulitzer prizes you don't see a really hardcore a tonalist anywhere on there. Um, you do see a lot of post-minimalism. You see a lot of neo-romanticism. You see a lot of 
Uh, you see a couple instances of, you know, jazz, and it might be more experimental jazz, you know, it's not big band or anything, but you don't see, you know, the Brian Fernihals and the Richard Barretts and the Helmut Lockenmans. You don't see those around. And this year, actually, when the three finalists were all three women and were all three from places like Harvard, Columbia, Oberlin, you know, I noticed a lot of outrage of, over that on my Facebook feed, at least, and remember distinctly one very long thread of an argument that wasn't so much an argument as much as it was a, an echo chamber of <laughs> older generation composers and younger generation neotonalists talking about atonality taking over music and still being the dominant force in new music. Huh. And I was just like, I'm giving these people like objective data on, you know, uh, who is holding, who is judging competitions, who holds top teaching posts, who is winning all of these awards. I'm like, guys, this just isn't true. But why does this have to be an argument anyway? Like, why can't we just congratulate these three people for being finalists and appreciate their music for what it is? But, you know, it, in that particular circumstance, that, that brings me back to the, the dogma and the polarization mm -hmm. yeah. and the narrative that follows, right? Because the talking point for the enculturation of minimalism has been it is, it is the oppressed, right? Mm -hmm. It it's is the, the thing that, mm -hmm. yeah. And, yes. and I think uh, too often, I think we just assume these types of mantras and take on these mantles of... Uh, situations that we inherit that aren't necessarily true today. Because I would say, like, I actually was sort of surprised when I heard that and also uh, sort of Rob's initial comment of the shadow of minimalism because, you know, I feel like where I've been to school, I've one place I've felt more um, sort of, not oppressed, but that maybe my style wasn't as welcome as uh, opposed to another school like at Bowling Green I actually mm -hmm. felt way out of my league um, sometimes felt unwelcomed but it was a very good place for me to grow whereas at CCM I felt like I was with my people um, in a way um, and <laughs> there's because different you <laughs> and there's difference. Oh, yeah. Shots fired. And there's uh, well, Jen was there too. Um, but there's different An intra Ohio sort of, rivalry. <laughs> there's different Imagine sort that. of benefits to both situations where you know you can grow mm. through nurturing or you could go grow through um, sort of uh, resistance. Um, that that sort of competitive. Uh, sort of way to learn can help you become a better person and both places did help me grow so I, I'm surprised to hear that people still think there's this huge war going on and that there's two sides because I feel <laughs> that it really <laughs> just depends on where you go to school <laughs> um, the, about how you feel and I feel like there's um, you know some schools that sort of harbor one um, ideology there's some awards like when you were saying that about the Pulitzer I was thinking in my mind the Grawmeyer I feel like who's the last uh neotonalist or uh, minimalist to win a Grawmeyer you know and I don't have Which the, the arguably data in front of me way more money <laughs> yeah. I don't have that data in front of me right now yeah. uh but yeah I, I just feel like we all know like when I apply for festivals or stuff like that I know like okay these are the composers there I might have a good chance of getting in here I was like oh no I'm not gonna be welcomed in that group of this other group of composers so i think we all find sort of our niche and 
we, um, you know, sort of live in it. And I think, you know, it's fine to sort of just, I don't know, um, I don't want to say stay in our lanes, but sort of do what we want to do with our music and then don't worry about what everyone else is doing if it sort of like hurts your soul to know that minimalists are being successful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I have have something stuck in my brain about this too because recently there have been some complaints about what gets accepted to festivals Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a pretty public forum. Mm. And, um, And this was basically a composer putting a call out saying, you know, don't be afraid of this particular genre. And A... I have I have two problems with it. One, I feel like it's my responsibility as a composer to go and find the people who are going to champion my music mm-hmm. and and help the audience be attracted to my music. It is definitely not all about me. If I put my music into the hands of someone I don't trust or who have um who is going to alienate the audience, then it doesn't matter what style I'm writing in. And the other problem is that this particular person labeled themselves as a specific kind of composer. And just like the six of us are on the, the we represent, you know, ourselves. It's not just that we're more or less minimalist. You know, I uh, we have been <laughs> kind of violently accosted for marrying another composer once or twice in our lives <laughs> because it's a horrible decision because we are one another's competition and it's just not the case mm-hmm. because people who like my music are not necessarily going to like his and the other way around. True story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have different audiences, different champions in a lot of situations. Sometimes they overlap because we're fun to drink beer with sometimes. I said we're fun to drink beer with and I just tripped all over. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys are but, really uh, fun to drink with. <laughs> see, I don't have the episode number up right now, but see the bassoon concerto one. <laughs> insert that one later. But yes, Mana had way too much to drink that night. Um, yeah, but I am not interested in all, at all in what I think my label is. It's none of my business what the audience thinks that I think of my label. And if I put my own stamp on I am this kind of composer they're either going to shoot me down and say well you're wrong (laughs) or I've just turned off a huge portion of what could be my audience because they see a word that they either don't love or hate they love or hate they don't fully understand Mm -hmm. they understand in a context differently than I do that's none of my business all I can do is put out what I think is interesting music Good music, if you want to put it that way. I think it's good. I am going to put a label on that because I don't let what I don't think is my good out in mm-hmm. the world. I would say, Jamie, that I, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever come across a composer who is interested in what their ism is. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, at least well, one that's yeah. one I have that's a serious. Page for you to visit. <laughs> well, yeah. I actually was. I was recently <laughs> asked that one time. Uh, well, when I was in Austin, someone asked me, you know, how would you define your music? I said, I don't, I don't really know. And I was, it, I did, I wasn't trying to make it like a "don't label me" kind of a thing. But this person was pretty insistent. They were like, "No, really, what would you call yourself? What you know camp do you fall in?" And I coined <laughs> the term like post kerplunkety neo modernism, <laughs> just to make him happy. Yes, <laughs> I love and, it. And, and, 
and now have genuinely latched onto it just to kind of like you know a big middle finger to the that kind of way of thinking like dude let's form a school you know the the ism i like to say and i don't know if it's you know if i'm using it correctly but i like to say oh i'm a post-structuralist composer because i don't believe in these Ah. all these silly sort of you know like like andrew said i i have the same belief in my life too that dogmas are not conducive to really uh living a full and you know uh diverse life um, so I pull from everything in my music. I pull from everything in my life, too. So we live in a post-structural society. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, all of these labels were not put on by the composers no. either. Right. I mean, I think that Mozart was not the best classical music musician ever. I think he was the best amalgamist. He took all of the good stuff about what was going on when he was alive. And because he started when he was so darn young, he was able to synthesize it into something magical. That doesn't mean that he was original. He grabbed everything that was fantastic that was going on and he stole it. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Do not go and quote me saying that I don't think Mozart's original. <laughs> oh, there's that Rob great, doubts me. There's that great you Stravinsky that? quote. There's that great Stravinsky quote. You know, good composers oh, borrow, yeah. good yes. composers steal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rob. <laughs> okay. No. Oh, lame. Wait. Lame. If you're going to make that face, <laughs> you better follow up on it. guy who attacked crap. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Rob, okay. Rob has some really good uh, bourbon he's sipping right there. Yeah, That's all. that was my answer to that. <laughs> I had one more thing I wanted to say. Mm, okay, this... I find, and, and this might be getting off the track of this conversation, but actually I don't think it is, because this whole this whole thing comes about because we're all artists who have different opinions and different ideas and we're all encountering other artists who have maybe completely counter ideas what was that oh my cat's trying to jump really high onto a cabinet and um there's stuff on the other just ignore my cats our cats have been trying to break in for hours (laughs) i did an experiment where i was like i'm gonna keep them out and growling at each other because like the new one's kind of new and um, that's what happened sorry if you hear a tiny cat meow and what sounds like a door being busted down in the recording that's that's totally okay rob you were saying something profound yeah Yeah, i'm really sorry that orange julius messed that one up (laughs) god it's such a good name for a cat um we're all encountering you know completely opposite things uh uh, on a daily basis and i have found not only in music criticism or or rather lack of criticism but in general life i have found the phrase quote and that's okay come up so many times and i'm really dissatisfied with its existence you can say that there's room for all kinds of music and that's okay you're this composer you're that composer and that's okay your piece is whatever and that's okay 
And ultimately, it is. But I feel like we have taken the fact that anything can be written right now to mean that anything that is written is good. No, no, just okay. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's how I feel where where we are right now. I feel like a lot of music and and, and, and honestly like this is true for every period. A, a lot of music is only okay and it just gets forgotten about. Yeah. Well, we have different gatekeepers than we've had in the past. But right, but what we've are the, the Well, I I I don't want to I don't want to go down that yet because <laughs> we'll we'll table we'll table gatekeepers because i'm i'm i i have a a goal with this statement there's a trajectory there is <laughs> something that n- never mind um <laughs> that was funny only to me because i played out the entire tangent in my head um have i mentioned that i'm on number four <laughs> i'm just trying to i'm trying to like keep it together because this is my second drink which is the same thing it just now has vodka in it so. <laughs> <laughs> and Tito's vodka. Hey, you know, by the way. I had an embarrassing oh, I had some Tito's in the fridge. In the middle of our- <laughs> yes, it's the best vodka from Austin. Love it. It is. That's that's some good craft right there. I was <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I got my, vodka uh, my four and roses arborist. says handcrafted on it. Oh, guys, this is this is that moment in the Ludoslavsky score where it says, "Do your thing and ignore everybody else." That's Yep. So, I have, uh, um, in in particular, uh, in the last couple five years or so, let's say, I mean, I have I've done this podcast. I have uh, before that I wrote a blog, and I've most of the time I would say I don't really pull my punches because I don't think that's that's uh, uh, helpful or valid or whatever like. I I think what I think about the pieces that I think about them, if that makes sense. That sentence didn't make sense. Have I mentioned that I'm on number four? Um, (laughs) But I have found that recently I feel like we aren't allowed to critique because it is somehow attacking a composer's worldview instead of challenging them on art that they put out into the world for feedback. And I've had a lot of conversations about people with this, like, and, and this is totally indicative of the, oh, oh, nice piece. Oh, mm. uh, interesting piece. Mm. You know, oh, great piece, mm. man. You know, and that's it's, okay. And that's okay. <laughs> but are you challenging the message or are you challenging technique? Yes. Mm. <laughs> well, the answer is yes. The answer <laughs> is 42. <laughs> but the, but I, I guess that's not the point. It's that the, it's that that critique is met with some kind of hostility. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk about what's negative. It's just like, w- just keep putting out into the world. And it's like, well, we're just we're just flooding the world with shit all the time. You know, I might argue and say that um, that maybe our so-called um, lack of critique, because I actually 100 percent agree with you there, Rob. Um, is a reaction to the harsh critique that went on during the like minimalist versus atonal stage. Like we have lost music criticism and that's not saying that we're going to attack every single piece. We've just 
lost our backbone and in, in our thinking you know mm-hmm. and it, here's the thing here's i think what kills me is that i think we all have opinions we all have opinions about every single piece we've yeah. heard we just don't talk about it or if we do we're like where's our safe space and talking about it like i was a uh, I was having a conversation with a composer last night and I like told this person, I was like, I'm really glad you have the same opinion about this composer's piece that I do. Cause this is like a very well-liked composer. And I thought this piece was shit. And he was like, I also thought this piece was shit. I'm like, thank God. And this is like a conversation I wanted to have with somebody like at the actual performance of this piece, which was like two or three years ago. And yet mm-hmm. we just don't talk about, it. and I wonder if we just need to evolve a little bit. Um, and figuring out, let's not like completely destroy people like they did maybe like in the 1960s. At the same time, we shouldn't just be like, that's nice. Or that was an interesting piece, but just to actually have a conversation about it and have composers maybe get to the level. And I'm thinking like maturity here where they just don't feel attacked where it's like, no, no, you can tell me what you think about your piece and it'll be okay. And we can have a civil discussion, but I don't know if we're able to have a civil discussion as of late with anything these days. So anyways, (laughs) that's my two cents. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I, I, I feel like this at this point, everyone just wants they want to get a pat on the back and for everyone to validate them. And I think that social media has done this, you know. They want more likes. Yeah, exactly. And and and, th- and this is for me, this is the crux of the issue, because like, you know, I would I would love to have this conversation with a lot of people. I mean, not specifically on the on the podcast or anything, but just like in in real life, when I hear something like I I want to talk to you about it because I have a different opinion, and maybe we could we could each grow from talking to each other, but that just doesn't happen anymore because people See, are so afraid to get into it. You know? Okay, I have a question. Did that ever happen? And I'm not just saying that to be devil's advocate. Like I'm very curious how it was back then. If people were just like going to newspapers or just uh, expressing their opinion or like forcing their composition studio, their, their composer progeny to write in their style. I mean, I'm just very curious how it went down before. You mean in the sixties and seventies, the period that we're kind of talking about? Yeah. Or, or even like eighties. I'll, I'll take any decade. Was there ever a decade or, or a year or, you know, you can't really put a specific time on it, but like, did we ever have, do we like go for nightcaps afterwards, which actually sounds delightful and be like, what'd you guys think? Or like talk to the composer and be like, Hey, and then when we're like a little into the cups we're like, Hey, why did you use those sirens? Which <laughs> someone did ask me once, but that's a different conversation. And then I felt bad the for using sirens. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I was and like I was like I'm gonna use two of them and then I second guessed myself but at least I was like we we're having a good time and maybe alcohol needs to be involved but I don't know I mean was there ever a time where we as composers collectively felt comfortable discussing somebody else's music in real time like in front of the composer or it doesn't even have to be in like in front of the composer it could be among friends like did we ever do that? Well, well, no. But I married somebody who challenges my opinions all the time. I mean, like I usually do it in the car. So if anybody goes to a concert with me, we discuss it in the car. You know, Uh post mortem. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Which I think is important for all composers or any creative person. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, it depends on the composer. You're not gonna walk up to Boulez and say, "Hey, why'd you make that decision?" Because he's dead. He's he's, he's He's dead. dead. Well, yeah. yeah. 
right. Real. Real. Nice. Oh. It's true. Nice reference, but Jamie. Was, but when he was way living, to remind us. When he was living, <laughs> no soon. one would have Too done soon. that either. Because he had a reputation for being touchy. Didn't someone well, go and he also was a powerful tie in half? Sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I said, Evan? didn't someone go up to John Cage and cut his tie in half at like a concert? I don't know. That's, that's so mean. That. I, I don't know. Isn't there a story about John Cage pissing off? But John, John, what, what, John, John, what were you saying? <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, oh, probably yeah. just probably making a joke. I don't take things seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it was so unimportant. I've already forgotten twenty seconds. <laughs> but which is hilarious because your 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 blog, uh, which is a lot of fun to read, by the way, is uh, I mean can get quite serious I, and not not yeah. that's not pejorative, but it's uh, I think it tackles a lot of really interesting issues. Yeah, and and that's well, it's one thing I actually. Uh, intended to do with that um and not really so much and i guess i can get back into criticism i did have a thing to say about that but it's more that it there i don't it actually was what kind of spurred you know this kind of thinking um that we're talking about today was that i noticed certain other media outlets uh for modern music are geared toward neo-romantic music and modern symphonists and post-minimalism and indie classical world you know uh, but in America, I don't know that I know of anything that really focuses exclusively or even a lot on, you know, contemporary experimental avant-garde or atonal music or electroacoustic music, really, you know, getting to the heart of it, like say, you know, the Rambler that they have in Europe, um, Tim Rutherford Johnson's blog. And so that was what I really wanted to do with it. And I'm not trying to get, you know, get that off the ground a little bit more even. But in terms of criticism, I think, uh, and I noticed this when I was in school, is there was a lot of, uh, you know, particularly in doctoral school when the student would present a piece or when we would play music for each other in forums or even just individually, any of their, there was a lot of criticism that flew around, but it was always prefaced with, first of all, loved your piece. Mm. Now let me tell you how you should have rewritten it. And, 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 but it also, the criticism also, uh, it, it was... It was always sort of like I noticed, or often, I shouldn't say always, uh, but it was often like, you didn't write my music, and I'm going to need you to explain yourself. Yes. And, yes. and mm-hmm. that was confusing. Where I remember one student wrote a piece uh, that had a lot of quarter tones in it, and I was, you know, I thought that was lovely, because I didn't see that often when I, you know, from other student pieces. And I noticed that a number of students were asking why he used them, but not really so much asking, more like, those don't belong there. Those aren't real notes. You can't really hear those. And so I raised my hand and asked the question, you know, like, well, was your purpose more timbral or was it, you know, were you thinking about the overtone series? What were you doing? He was like, oh, I'm glad you asked that. Here's exactly what I was thinking when using these quarter tones. Like, there was intent behind it, but that was in kind of lost in a lot of the criticism was that it wasn't really talking about the piece on its, you know, on what it was actually trying to communicate and saying whether or not it was successful, it was sort of going back on craft, but a really dogmatic version or, I guess, understanding of craft. Yeah. Well, and we've, I I think we've kind of talked about this before, especially on the over drinks, because um, actually Evan and Andrew, the, when we were talking about uh, Sky McClay's piece, 
you know, and we were talking about the ending and each of us had a different idea of what the ending might be or could be or should be. And we all said, well, yeah, but this is, this is, I'm trying to rewrite it as I would rewrite it, you know, so that, and I think that in a way the uh, composers, we just need to, we need to be more self-aware and thank you. Like, I, I think that, and I, and I tell my students this all the time, dude, know thyself, you know, you will get so much more out of being an artist. If you just know what your own, uh, predispositions are or your own prejudices are or, or whatever, like I, I, I mean, we're, we're already in a field that is very, um, you know, inward looking, which might be a little bit dangerous anyway, but seriously, like spend some time learning about your own, your own brain. If, if I might, and since we are taking issue with certain words during this podcast, uh, the thing I take issue with the most is the idea of voice. Mm. And I'm really uninterested in in exploring or pushing the idea that uh, composer, young composers, their job is to find their voice. Yes. Or that a composition teacher's job is to help a student find their voice. It makes it seem like we're all lost in a dark wilderness, uh, groping for this intangible that's, that we're just going to magically find and suddenly possess. And in fact, uh, and of course I'm stealing this from, from another artistic discipline, and uh, um, a, a guy from Ohio University wrote a book on the art and craft of poetry. I believe it's uh, Michael Bejea, if I'm remembering correctly. Bam! Ohio University. Here, what up? The, yeah. Uh, represent uh, the idea. Yeah, I didn't go there. I know. Uh, the idea is that the artists who want to create something already possess a voice. Now, the voice might be uninteresting or uninspired or or very naive. Whatever. It, it's still being filtered through whatever it is that you're trying to communicate with. That is your voice. The problem is not finding it, it's developing it. And then while developing it, not obscuring your voice in the process, not getting lost in these dogmatic styles, not sounding so similar to someone else that you're actually not saying anything anymore. And the fact that you say, know thyself, yes. And that, that's why I'm uninterested in voice, because it's a product of that activity, of knowing yourself, of, of absorbing and then retelling. I, okay, so I'm I'm having like an, a hard time thinking about some random person that I don't know walking up to me after a concert and offering me some honest criticism. Like, <laughs> okay, first of all, you all know me. My response is going to be the "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> I'm you <know>, Pierre Boulez. <laughs> God, I love you, Jamie. We've covered. <laughs> He's dead. Um. No, I mean, like, if I don't have a relationship with someone, I have a really hard time walking up to them and being ballsy enough to be like, hey, uh, your piece. And I would expect the same level of respect back. I'm okay with criticism, like, from people I know who know me. And if you're willing to say, hey, Jamie, that's from left field. What were you thinking about during that piece? I will listen to someone I trust. 
But if it's some random person off the street, I don't know. I'm probably going to give it super cranky at them. And that's not the word I wanted to put there, but I'm trying to use that one less. But Jamie, <laughs> how many people, how many, how many strangers just walk up to you after a piece and say anything critical? It doesn't happen. It's only going to come from your friends. Yeah, and but people are we that encouraging you trust? random people to come up to me and do this? This is what I'm discouraging right now. You're just putting it out there right now. Hey, randos, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Additionally, like I don't trust anybody to walk up to me that doesn't know me and not be indignant about it either. Like We have so much opinion hoarding right now what if i'm just i'm gonna tell you an experience that actually recently happened to me what if the person Do prefaced it. it with like i don't mean to be a dick about this but <laughs> was he a, was, was he a combroser no actually um <laughs> this was um this this was actually um a conductor who I think was actually genuine in wanting to know why my piece was so long. To which I actually oh. laughed it off and I said, you know, actually the first edition of this piece was longer and I knew it needed to be cut mm. a little bit. I said, but thank you very much for your opinion. I said, I can see that. I said, that's the challenge of this piece. It's actually like one of those long form minimalist pieces where I do allow the band to breathe, by the way, guys, <laughs> for the record. Um <laughs> And I said, that's what makes it challenging. But like I said, I, I understand where you're coming from because it used to be longer and I thought it was too long. But um, th thanks mm. for letting me know. <laughs> Although it was odd. I've never had that experience before. So I bet none of the guys have either. Wait, what? Uh-oh. Uh I, I bet. I, I wonder, like... Sorry, I'm seeing gender issues no, everywhere that's fair. lately, so this might not be one Do of them, it. but I am I, willing I, to I have that to say, if you were a guy... I have to say, Jamie, like I see gender issues all the time it makes me crazy probably why i added vodka to my drink at this mm. moment yeah. but um and there was a split you know what um at the time i thought this person was being genuine to be fair um because okay. usually um I mean, you were there, as of late so. I've been, i thought i've been paranoid i think the person was just like super honest this was, was um not as like an older experienced conductor, if you get what I'm saying. I think this person yeah. was very yep. genuine yep. and wanted to know where these things were. And also like thankfully pointed out mistakes in my score. So I was actually very thankful about that. But oh, man. no, that was a good, no, it was an old, it's an older piece of mine. And he, like he, he did Fair. again. So I, I guess um, maybe this is a rhetorical question. If the person said, look, I don't want to be a dick about this. Does that make it okay? <laughs> you know? I would say if he, I would say if this person didn't say that, I would have been like, "What? Yeah. What?" Way to but be you know, a dick been about very it. like, I'd be very, you know, I'd be very professional about it. But I think because it was hedged a little bit, being like, "By the way, I'm gonna say something that might be offensive," and I don't mean it to be offensive. I'm just, I'm genuinely asking because I'm trying to get the gist of this piece. So yeah. I'm gonna, Jamie, jumping off on that, mm -hmm. and Jen. I'm going to pose pose a little little sidebar for us. What is the worst thing you've gotten after a piece from oh from either a trusted friend or a rando in the crowd or whatever? Could I uh could I could I jump in because I need to give this answer and I actually have to jump off. I I would love for you all to continue this conversation, but I, I need these to be my parting words, <laughs> if that's okay. Mm. 
Okay. Well, I, uh, I, I had written a piece. It was a fixed media piece uh, to accompany choreography and video. And uh, I thought it went well. You know, I enjoyed the piece. I really, it was my first real uh, text sound composition. I was pretty proud of it. But the poetry was not chosen by me. It was uh, three different translations of a poem by Ruben Dario about death and dying and loss and facing your own mortality and all that stuff. And so it was a pretty dark piece. Um, and at one point, a friend of mine came over to me after, uh, not him, he, uh, his fiance. And she was like, hey, I'm really sorry, but, you know, I was told that I should tell you this, but I had to walk out in the middle of your piece because it started to give me an existential crisis and a panic attack. And I think you should just know about that because, you know, people might react that way to your music. And I think it was meant as like, a, hey, you should keep this in mind. And I was like, well, I don't really know if that is a criticism, but I think it was it was meant to be like, hey, you should you should keep this in mind, you know, like this shit can get heavy and it's very upsetting. Uh, and then one time a uh, <laughs> child started crying in the beginning of one of my fixed media pieces and his mom had to take him out into the hallway because the loud music and lack of light was scaring him. So not really criticism directly from friends, just more like noticing crowd reactions to yeah. walking mm. out of my music, you know, multiple times I've seen that happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you go, John, uh, tell everyone your blog so they can go check it out. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Klong is the name of the blog. The URL's uh, uh, K-L-A-N-G, so klongnewmusic.weebly.com. Definitely read awesome. it. Got thank some you. awesome stuff on there, even if it does, in Andrew's words, get a little serious. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some theoretical stuff on there that is a little academic, dare I say. <laughs> Well, thanks, thanks, John, for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. And it was wonderful to see those of you who I know from my past. Jennifer, it was nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. All see right. you, John. Well, everyone, yeah, see you, John. See you, Evan. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Enjoy the uh, rest of the conversation. Mm -hmm. All right, signing off. Fielder <laughs> out. Well, now that he's gone, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, side note, I'll probably have to leave soon myself. Yeah. Well, do you want to go first then? I do have an answer, but um, let's see. The worst. So the the question is the worst comment that someone's told you. Does it have to yeah. be a person? Whatever. Um, Whatever. You know, I I guess maybe people have been nice, or I just kind of don't care as much like where if they think my piece sucks i was like well i'm sure you have like a following there i mean i'm not really quite sure um if there's anything insulting i would say like after one of my pieces there was a question about sirens and i felt bad but i was also in the cups too <laughs> and then like another composer and these are composers that let's say i'm not like personal friends with but like i respect them when we like see each other on occasion you can tell in the face it was like not the best piece and i was getting self-conscious because it was like a piece i was stressing about a lot because it was like a big piece of mine um i will say this um one thing i was maybe a little insulted was as i submitted my prisoner of conscious piece for uh, a competition and they gave me feedback which i was like cool or not cool, you know, depending, but at least they took the time to give feedback, which never, ever happens. So yeah. I'm very thankful they gave feedback. And one of the comments was, I like that you had 
more of like spoken text in the beginning of it. I wish there was more of that. And part of me is like, well, you don't understand the purpose of my piece because I purposely used a motet style in between, which doesn't use these more like he wanted to use, um, wanted me to use more avant-garde techniques. And for me, there wasn't really a purpose to which I was like, well, that's, you didn't understand my gist. And to me, that's like sad. I, I wish that people like, if I write to my audience, I'd always hope that they kind of understand my intent and purpose and maybe even the process of it. But, um, I mean, not too bad, honestly, nothing, nothing terribly insulting. So that's really nice. Or if people are thinking it, they just don't tell me to my face and they just, you know, go into chat rooms about it. (laughs) God, I want to see those chat rooms. (laughs) All right, Jen, do you have to hop off? I do. But it was lovely seeing you all. See you, Jen. Jen Jolly, everyone. Jen. Thank you. <laughs> like we're like, Cheers. Bye. Oh, man. This is the uh, Farewell Symphony. Yeah, is this like a new one? Let me turn off the light. Oh, oh I stepped Aww. on the cat. I stepped on the cat. Oh. I'm sorry, Calpurnia. I'm sorry, Gary. All right. I got to go say bye, bye to I have to apologize to Calpurnia now. Bye-bye. Bye, Jen. Take care. Bye. bye. Good night. All right, so mine are all a little more general. Um, most people assume that I am a vocalist when they meet me because of the way I dress. Really? I've gotten that a lot. I wear a lot of scarves. Oh. I, I, I care about my... War- I have a lot of care for my wardrobe. And um, the reaction I frequently get, and I don't... I'd prefer not to give ex- some specific examples is that you seem like a cute girl from a decent and had that had a decent childhood. When did you get so fucked up? No, really? Why are you writing mad scenes? Why oh. are you writing nonsense syllables and things about bombs? And this isn't your genre. Sweetheart, go try something else. <sighs> Which is why I see gender issues everywhere yeah and i get angry really easily right now i mean like it's the third day of 2018 still haven't recovered from early 2017 yet (laughs) so it's everywhere but i am so willing to call people on it do it good i am so willing to cry at dinner tables with close friends and say but you do not get what it's like to be a woman in this career Mm -hmm. yeah and it makes everybody uncomfortable. It makes him uncomfortable. I can tell. Him. I'm pointing uh, him, to Andrew. Him, him me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, there are moments at the dinner table where I can see his eye doing that thing where like, I can't stop her right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's and just a husband fair, and wife thing. That's not necessarily well, yeah, to, a composer. To, to be fair, it's not like I want her to stop on a lot of levels. Uh, it's it's just like you can see the trajectory and you know there's nothing you can do. It's yeah. just like, okay, here it is. Yep. Yeah. And there's also no winning that battle in that this, this in the, that environment, right? Battle in that yeah. moment. But there is such a feeling of a lack of control right now. And so when I hear someone questioning Jen's choices in a piece, I doubt very much that that same person would walk up to any of the three of you gentlemen that remain in our conversation and do the same thing. And you're all younger than Jen. Yeah, we are. Yep. But most of you are taller. 
Very true. Imposing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she but has better I hair than short, we do, though. I well, I mean, she has better hair than I do. <laughs> um, but you know, like I get laughed at at the liquor store, literally. A month, two months ago, maybe I handed them my ID and they they like laughed at me because I'm old enough to buy liquor and they didn't think so. Ooh, I'm 33, and like the daily conversations are just sweetie, honey, and I wish sometimes I had. I mean, like I'm I was the only person in this conversation who doesn't have a doctorate, and so I, that's. Well, so, but some days I wish I had one so that when someone calls me sweetie, I can say, well, actually, it's doctor. What the it hell is do doctor, you sweetie, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yep. So, I mean, it's it's little things a lot. And it has happened at concerts. And it does happen when people presume that they can come and overly criticize a female composer. Well, when they wouldn't do the same thing to a man. I think that and this is, is not serialism or minimalism. <laughs> I think that is the the biggest like call to arms for all the men who think that that statement is fucking bullshit. If you are in a position of power, do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And and it's not always just being a good guy because you guys are all great guys. I love you all. This is not the beer talking because that's starting to work. No, it's the beer talking. (laughs) It's not. It's not. Um, You know, it's, it's, and I know you guys do this. It's not just saying I'm making a balanced list and it's not just saying that stuff is wrong, but it's making sure that when we feel this way, we're not the only ones saying that's fucking bullshit. Yep. Yep. So. Twenty seventeen just sucked. God, I don't even want to do my worst concert like thing now. <laughs> Sorry. You could you could always change the order. Yeah, you can. You can put me last. <laughs> I might actually. <laughs> it's fine. You have you have my. What is it? Come on, you gotta do it now. Uh, my worst one, which wasn't honestly, it wasn't all that bad. Like I had a piece um played in Houston at the um uh the Houston Asia Society, uh the Texas Center Asia Society, and it was for violin and percussion. And I definitely got the critique from someone who just randomly walked up to me and said. Why did you have to make everything so high? Mm. <laughs> I was like, because I I didn't really have a good answer for him, honestly. Yeah. I was like, that's just what I did. And then um, my first doctoral recital, I had a, a couple, definitely over 70, walk out after the first piece. And I heard them, because I was in the back, because I was running electronics, uh, I heard mm-hmm. them mutter to each other like, Ugh, what, 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 why does he just have to be so, so, ugh? And the, I, I think that was the wife talking, and the husband said, Well, you know, these new composers, they just have to be different. Mm. Which is not yeah. very 
<laughs> See, this is why I didn't want to go. Like after that, like that seems no, so no, horrible. I mean, no, no, I think it's legit. I yeah, I haven't had that many people like come up to me and offer constructive criticism. It's like a lot like, oh yeah, that was an interesting piece and blah blah blah. Oh, or, nice piece. So Good I know, piece. yeah, nice piece. Exactly. So I know those are the people <laughs> that didn't really dig it, and then the people who like right. it, you know. They, they do come up and say, like, this is specifically what I liked about it. I guess my worst was, and Jen was talking about a um, feedback on a submission, and that was sort of my worst. Uh, ICMC, I submitted my eight-channel piece uh, to it. Um, and a little bit about this piece, it starts with about, like, four minutes of just, like, voices that swirl around the field, um, and then it gets more rhythmic, and at the end, it, it ends with pulsing. And um, wait, ICMC rhythm- gave you feedback? Yeah, yeah. I forgot what year this is. Actually, wow. I keep it on my desktop to remind myself about this. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can see the year it was. It was. Uh, I can't tell what year this was. I think it was either 2015 or 2016. I submitted wow. to. Oh, it was when it was in. Um, Info on the file. In when it was in um, the Netherlands in Utrecht, because I really wanted to go to the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. So it was 2014 then. Um, so yeah, and he said, and I will read exactly what uh, this. I don't Ooh, know. Ooh, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry, edit this out because I have to find. The comment. Here we go. Uh, the subtle glittering characteristics of the sound transformation work well. The female singing melody, which uh, coming in at 450, appears apparently naked and untreated, which opposes the chanting mood. A crass beat music inset at 641. So he called this rhythmic pulsing crass beat music, which. Crass. Ex- yeah. Uh, which is like, you know, that's a pretty loaded term. And it's not even beat music. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's the worst I've gotten. Um, nothing like, you know, stop doing what you're doing or something like that. Interesting. <laughs> um, so, so if, you'll, if you'll indulge me, I have two brief. One uh, that might can be considered harsh criticism and one that, that's just kind of awkward and amusing. Uh, Is so it the one that both of us got? I think so. Yeah, okay. uh, and so we'll can I start with the criticism? Sorry, Andrew. I was sure. wrong. It was 2016. That was uh, the Netherlands. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. 2014 with Athens. Your, your I, I, I don't want to, you diligence. know, Athens, Greece, Athens, Ohio, sister city, whatever. 2016. Fuck 2016. <laughs> um. So criticism, let's, let's start there. Uh, I think this actually was in a written review of one of my electroacoustic pieces. Um, and it was a, it's a short, it's a miniature. Uh, in fact, it's, it's one of the ones that was featured on the Seamus, uh, electroacoustic miniatures, the transients recording. Right. Um, and so that piece is, you know, it's under three minutes. It's just meant to be a little dalliance uh, and a, a composition using limited means. And in the review, and I'm going to paraphrase, there were two things. It was uh, far too short of a piece, <laughs> didn't really do anything, <laughs> and uh, was was just full of uh, uh, needless or, or what have you looping. Mm. 
There is not a loop, not nah. a single loop. In fact, I, I'm, I imagine the part that was referenced by the reviewer is the part where I'm basically improvising at a keyboard this non-looped thing <laughs> in, in a kind of rhythmic way, but, but no, absolutely no looping whatsoever, which is highly amusing. Uh, now to the fun, awkward, awkward uh, kind of <laughs> encounter. Uh, at the end of a concert, Jamie and I were both approached by a person who totally, this is totally sweet, uh, but, you know, it looked at each of us, I, oh, Jamie, I really like your music, and, and Andrew, I, I really like your music too, but you're just so musically incompatible. Mm. <laughs> Why are you getting Why married? Why are you getting married? <laughs> wow. <laughs> 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 so not, Memorable moments. Not really, yeah, not really a criticism per se, but interesting, mm. yeah. You're musically incompatible. Wow. Well, I think we're coming up on the two-hour mm-hmm. mark. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, ish, we? we started late with technical mm-hmm. difficulties, but I think Rob's going to have a Herculean oh, task of, boy. of editing. <laughs> Put tape over your clock or something? <laughs> this is going to be the podcast that I don't edit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Just send me your stems and I'll put them together and just... <laughs> <laughs> be sure to start them all anyway. at like different times so that like the conversation oh, is yeah. really just like doesn't matter it'll make sense it'll be like it's, house of leaves trying to read house of leaves and make sense of it process. It's, it's a process folks right. it's a process, it's right. process that box first or the page first and then the box <laughs> <laughs> well Aww. let's uh, let's round it out just mm-hmm. the four of us we lost our our two compatriots. <laughs> the whole point of this was to talk about current aesthetics. Aesthetics. <laughs> you were Aesthetics. you were doing so well. You you were poised. Honestly, Composed. if I was sober, I'd still say aesthetics. Yeah, that's fair. Aesthetics. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, but I think we did that. Hashtag overdrinks, y'all. Overdrinks. What up? (laughs) No, but one more time. If anyone has stuck around this long, which I doubt that anyone has, please visit John Fielder's blog, which is Klong, with a K, the German spelling, klongnewmusic.weebly.com. Weebly? Weebly.com. Thank you. (laughs) And that's fucking teamwork. <laughs> the funny thing is, Evan and I don't have it written down. <laughs> but I used to have a Weebly uh, website, so. <laughs> I know how they work. <laughs> and as for us, um, this was kind of a, what should we even call this? I don't even know. Cat herding 101. I like uh, round table is actually yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, oh, you think it's lame. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then my round table uh, metaphor really works. I know. Right? <laughs> All right. Evan has has laid the yeah. groundwork. All right. All right. He's not calling it a spherical table. So we're set. Spherical we're not table. The laws of physics to do this. <laughs> okay. 
Something the circle like has yeah. infinite points. <laughs> <laughs> Overdrinks infinity. It can't be. Uh, man, man, I'm I'm really I'm really wondering how if you can get this down to an hour and it's fifteen not be minutes. An hour. It's gonna be two hours. I am not, I've already stated I'm not editing this. <laughs> Six, six, well, five, because you're both on the same, like, stereo stream or whatever. But five streams? Are you kidding me? There's no editing this. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of how I'm going to send you this, uh, (laughs) I actually actually do have two independent streams, more or less. Six streams? Are you kidding me? I will I will send you each individual and the stereo bounce Woo. and you can decide you can pick your poison. No, I want the I, I want the individuals. <laughs> you, you got it. All right. All right. Well, well, shall we turn uh, off our, 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 our dust lamps? No, 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 no. Don't turn off yet. Don't turn off. We have to find some way to end this. We have to find some way to close it out. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, you're you're the one that's gonna have to take us out here. Yeah, well, I missed we're, the question. We're doing so, it, it might not matter at this point. <laughs> it might not matter at this point. It does matter. What was the question? I uh, take us out. Was that's the question. Yeah, we need we need a way to we need a way to end. Find an ending, as we like to say. Rock, paper, scissors, serialism, or <laughs> minimalism. Ooh, is that how we're going to end it? Okay. All right, let's do it right Maybe. now. It's you and me, Jamie. Okay. Who do I oh. represent? Wait, we can do four-way if we do rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. I got okay. it. I got this. Wait, what? I got lizard, this. Spock? Yeah. Ro- rock, do you not paper, watch The Big Bang Theory? Rock, paper, scissors, no. lizard, Spock. Actually, in uh, that 70s show, they came up with a much better rock, paper, scissors. They came up yeah, with... Yeah, but nobody watched that 70s show. Okay, fair enough. But I'm going to tell it to you right now. It's foot. So you like, like you make your... Yeah, like foot. How do you do that as a surprise? Atom bomb. <laughs> uh, cockroach. What is that? That's a cockroach. Wait, what was the, what was the atom bomb again? <laughs> no, foot, it's not. Foot. <laughs> that does not atom bomb, look like a cockroach. cockroach. Foot okay. destroys cockroach. Atom bomb destroys foot. Cockroach survives atom bomb. Oh. It is more perfect than rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but we can't play that four way. You're right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's no ending for this. Let's just stop. There isn't. There is there is no ending in sight. <laughs> this is everything is okay. Okay is everything. Write your music. But with integrity. With integrity. Be honest. Be yourself. Be yourself. But don't be an imitation. This just turned into a TED talk. Unless you're Stravinsky and great composer Steel. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> signing off, Overdrinks, Lexical Tones Podcast. Thank you. Have a great <laughs> night, guys. <laughs> the desk lamp is off. <laughs> Oh my god, that was a record. I almost made it, but my god. Go stop the recording, because this is not going to be when you're right. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, 
please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. Thank you.